Welcome to the PaxX Podcast, available on iTunes. This is episode 30 of the show where we talk about everything to do with the passenger experience. I'm Mary Kirby, and I'm joined by my co-host, Max Flight. Max, how are you doing? Oh, very well, Mary. I, although, I think I'm getting larger, you know, with the oh. holiday season and all the good food. <laughs> I think this is kind of a problem. I know the feeling, Max. I know the feeling. Uh, you know, I was actually thinking this morning, I need to start, you know, looking at an exercise regime here pretty soon. We've been uh, chowing down on pie and cookies a little bit too much, perhaps. But uh, but before we get started, we'd like to thank eGate Solutions for sponsoring this week's podcast. We all want happy passengers. They buy more and they're likely to be more loyal to your airline. But delivering a positive passenger experience is hard when you're relying on legacy systems and manual processes. eGate Solutions provides the technology behind onboard services, connecting and automating every step of an airline's operations from the warehouse to the passenger. With eGate, you can spend less time and money on the process and more on optimizing the passenger experience, which really is what we are all in the business of delivering. Visit eGate Solutions online at www.egate-solutions.com or email them at info at egate-solutions to learn more. Now, it's my great pleasure to introduce our guest today. Nigel Pickford serves as Director of Marketing Operations and Market Insight for CETA, which is a multinational IT company to the air transport industry. Nigel joined us on a previous episode and at that time he teased some studies conducted by CETA about passenger personas. Since we last spoke, CETA published its research and Nigel's going to tell us a little bit about it today. Nigel, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you very much, Mary. Um, It's good to be back on the podcast. Good to have you. uh, Looking forward to this session. I too, Max, uh, are likely to be getting bigger uh, in the next <laughs> month, I guess. So you're, you're, you're not alone. <laughs> we'll grow together. <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump right in and take a look at some of the PaxX news stories in the headlines. First, as Mary mentioned, CETA has made a number of interesting findings around its passenger persona work. Nigel, is it true that most people fall into the category of being careful planners these days? It is indeed um, the case. In fact, uh, 58% of travellers originating their flights from uh, the States are are seen as careful planners in the research. Uh, And this is uh, actually slightly lower than we found in the UK and Australia, where we also conducted this research, where the the percentage was more between 60 and 62%. So slightly less careful planners in the States. But careful planners are pretty... uh, Cautious people, yes, as, as the name implies, and uh, they, uh, they they like to uh, to make sure they have everything covered for their journey. Yeah, I was going to say. So essentially, they're careful from from moment one, right, Nigel? I mean, everything they want to know everything about their trip well in advance. They want to have that information. What from a mobile standpoint? How how would you actually define them? Well, I, I think that they they do actually take a lot of time to prepare. For things, so when they're travelling, which is a quite a big event, you're right. They would start early. They would book early. They would ensure that they've done enough research to get the right flight or the right hotel, etc., for their journey. Um, they make sure that uh, they want to avoid problems. Yeah, so they're, they're almost trying to prevent the problem happening or making sure that they're covered if a problem does happen during the journey. So they they double-check things, yeah? They prepare and prepare again uh, because if if things do go wrong, these are people who tend to get very apprehensive 
and anxious uh, during the travel experience. Oh, interesting. Max, would you identify as a careful planner? I think I'm maybe more of an opportunistic planner or oh. or, or maybe even a non-planner. When I'm traveling, <laughs> I, I like the adventure myself. So if something uh, unexpected happens, I, I tend to see that as an opportunity uh, to view something or see something, learn something that uh, I, I wouldn't have otherwise. But I guess, Nigel, I must be in the minority. You are actually in the minority, yes, because only 12% of of passengers from our survey in the States um, clarify themselves as um, open-minded adventurers. These are the carefree people, the people who who maybe want to take risks, um, uh, not necessarily in terms of the flight they choose, but in terms of doing uh, things um, on the spur of the moment. So, so they, you are in a minority for sure. In fact, maybe you would be more suited to living in Australia where one-fifth ah. <laughs> of travellers are actually open-minded adventurers, which fits with the, the persona of Australians generally, don't you think? Wow, maybe I'll have to give that a go for sure. Well, uh, yes. back, back to the careful planners, and you mentioned the effect on them uh, of disruptions to their plan. Is one of the implications that if uh, an airline, let's say, or an airport uh, has uh, some knowledge of a disruption, that getting that information to the flyer as soon as possible with as much information as possible is the right thing to do so that they can replan, as it were? I, I think it is, uh, for sure. I think it's maybe generally the case that people should be informed as soon as possible, regardless of their persona. But uh, for the careful planner, um, they need time maybe to consider their options. They, they need to sit back and reflect what this really yeah. means for them and to check whether they've already put anything in place to, to account for this potential situation they find themselves in. I, for one, I don't necessarily class myself as a careful planner in the total sense, but when it comes to going to the airport for my uh, to check in um, and pick up my uh, my boarding pass, um, I've not only asked for the boarding pass to be sent to me by text onto my phone, I've also had it sent by email to my phone, and I've also, when I get to the airport, I print my boarding pass just in case. So there's a little bit of careful planner within myself as well. That's interesting. And this kind of harkens to the fact that the careful planner wants this kind of multi-channel approach. Am I right? You're, you're absolutely right, because careful planners know that in certain circumstances, they may need to behave differently and they are as comfortable interacting with people as, as maybe they might be with, with, with technology. Uh, they may lean more towards people-to-people uh, interactions, uh, in fact, because um, they, they feel perhaps more comfortable hearing information from a, a person rather than necessarily trusting uh, a computer to send them information. Okay, interesting. You know, I would probably personally uh, identify more as independent and hyper-connected, but I think the one thing that we would share then with the careful planners is the fact that we're using our mobile devices, and sometimes multiple. Is that right? What's your latest data on that? Well, in terms of devices carried, now 97% of travelers uh, will, uh, will fly with a mobile device of some description, 83% 83% would travel with smartphone uh, on their person, 46% with a, a laptop, and, and around just under 40% with a tablet. 
What's interesting is that there are actually 15% of people globally, and these are global numbers I'm giving you now, um, who travel with all three devices. There are even some people who travel with four or five devices. So we, we are truly in the age of the connected traveler. Um, and of course, the hyper-connected persona loves this, uh, this new world where they can get information in their palm instantly or in real time. So for them, this is a wonderful transformation. Yeah, interesting. What it does mean, however, is that, of course, if the information they're given on their device is wrong or if they are in a situation where they, they uh, feel as though their, their device might run out of power, they get very stressed and they also get very angry uh, very quickly. Interesting. Well, I got to say that it is, it's a point of anxiety when you, say, for example, land and there's nowhere to plug in and your device is running low. And I know that airports have improved to a certain degree in terms of providing power, um, but I would say not enough. I mean, there's, there's been so many terminals that, that I've, uh, you know, transited over the last year where I, uh, you know, I'm looking for plugs in the side of the wall uh, where, you know, the <laughs> vacuum gets plugged in <laughs> yeah. it's very it is very stressful actually yeah and it is and part of the i think one of the drivers for that uh, looking at this from from a subjective view personal view is the people who are hyper connected are consuming information whether it's video or email or, or any other structured data that they may be consuming they're doing this regularly all the time every day and it leads to a feeling of urgency about things People want information now. They don't want to wait for information. So when, we, when their devices do run out of power or there are problems with connectivity, their anxiety can move more quickly to the feeling of anger. That's a good point, actually. When there, is, you know, when there isn't, say, for example, Wi-Fi available or free Wi-Fi available, that's also a point of anxiety. Um, you know, and particularly, and I guess we'll talk about this a little later, but particularly when, you know, so much is being automated these days and, and it's harder and harder to find, you know, a human being to help you sometimes uh, work things out. The onus is on the passenger more and more. So there, there needs to be a certain kind of baseline understanding that we've got power and connectivity in order to be able to do what we need to do, right? Yeah, they become essential utilities to, to travel in, in yeah. that sense. Absolutely, yeah. Mary. Sure. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about bag drop technology a little bit. And we see that CETA has acquired the innovative firm called Type 22, which we've profiled on the Runway Girl Network. And I guess CETA believes is positioned to become the bag drop leader. Nigel, what does Type 22 bring to the table? Well, uh, for CETA, which is, uh, provides a lot of services to the air transport industry in terms of baggage, whether it's in terms of helping airlines operate the baggage systems and, and share information between baggage systems at the, the, uh, between origin and destination and end-to-end -end in terms of the airport processes. Um, as we build our, our solutions to become more end-to-end, and implicitly over time more oriented towards uh, ease of use self-service, um, the notion of, of being able to improve and develop solutions which embrace backdrop is, is a logical step forward. And having worked in the backdrop arena, 
we found that uh, with Type 22 being a very agile and innovative organization providing scan and fly and drop and fly type services, they are a perfect fit for CETA to allow us to take our overall end-to-end proposition to a next level. So this, we feel, as an organization, it's the right capability arriving at the right time, given that the success of self-service backdrop is very much around making the systems usable for all types of passengers. Okay, interesting. Now, uh, we, we did, like uh, Max mentioned, we did profile uh, this company um, as part of a, a kind of a larger report about this type of bag drop technology. And in it, uh, we mentioned that this is a, a red dot design award-winning system. It is now supporting speedy check-ins for Cathay Pacific, Finnair, KLM, China Airlines, and many others, and that essentially the solution takes advantage of existing airport infrastructure and does not force airlines to scrap their own software systems. Can you speak a bit about uh, any of that in terms of what they're bringing to the table? I'm probably not the uh, the best person to talk about the specifics, particularly with those examples, which I'm not close to. I'm sorry okay. to, not to comment on. That's not really my my field. I think in terms of, of the, the innovation here, we are keen that the backdrop focus is not just on the, the link to the belt, for example. It's all also about how people can manage the bag tank printing process better and how we can evolve our own solutions to help bag tracking become much more effective for the industry, particularly with the uh, pending uh, resolution 753 that the uh, IATA uh, have introduced, which is a mandate for airlines to comply to by 2018. So the bag drop process and the, the continued automation of that process is significantly important to ensuring that the industry complies to this new mandate. Ah. Is the mandate and these efforts at automation and process improvement, are those directed towards speeding up the process or addressing the tracking part of the process? It's specifically around tracking, Max, because uh, the the issue here is that if, when you have a bag that's, that's dropped um, first by the passenger – and either handed to an agent or put on the belt themselves at a self-service bag drop station. On a typical journey, uh, that bag could get handled by 10, 12 or more people. And some of those people um, are airline staff, some are airport staff, some might be with the ground handler. Um, and that transition between, um, if you like, responsibility from one stakeholder to the next along the chain from the point at which you personally let go of your own bag and put it on the belt and pick it up at the carousel at the destination airport. Um, The level of tracking and the consistency of tracking those changing points of ownership, if you like, is not today consistent globally and is particularly weakly recorded on the arrival leg of the journey. And so uh, what IATA is trying to do is to bring uh, uh, not only a standard um, principle that all of these points of transition need to be recorded so that, that we know when and who last handled the bag, should a bag unfortunately go missing um, for a time, 
um, we would, through this particular mechanism, be able to not only use that type of data better operationally to ensure the bag is repatriated to the passenger as quickly or better and more quickly than it, than it may be today, but it also means that we can better inform the passenger about the state of his, status of his bag, which of course is is very, very important for, for, for all of those who might be affected with a mishandled bag. Hmm. Nigel, there's a fair amount of competition in this particular space. I know that uh, when I've attended the Future Travel Experience conferences in Las Vegas, all of these different bag drop companies kind of come together and they show their wares. Um, do you feel, you know, I, I find it interesting that CETA believes this particular acquisition is going to position it as the leader in this arena. Can you talk a little bit about, about your thinking there and about how how kind of the space has a number of players yeah it's true there are there are a number of players um in in this market i guess CETA is in a position where as i say we are already very integral to the industry in terms of uh the messaging side um of baggage and we have systems common use systems in some 400 um, airports or so around the world and we have capabilities that allow us to take an end-to-end approach to the passenger journey, not just uh, the just focusing purely on the baggage element. Uh, the baggage element, of course, is is very very important, and therefore we believe for companies that prefer to look at the end-to-end, uh, CETA would be in a stronger position with this level of capability from Type 22. Okay. I mean, as an example, for example, CETA's, CETA has also been involved with Virgin Australia in bringing uh, hybrid approaches to way that check-in and bag drop is managed. So we actually provide, in this case, a, uh, a flexible counter, if you like, that at some points of the day could be used as an agent uh, check-in and bag drop uh, station whereas at other times of the day, by swiveling around the screen of the computer, literally, um, you can turn this uh, agent station into a self-service station. And by doing this, you can actually have a mix and match. Some stations are self-service, some stations are assisted, um, and that allows choice for the passenger. It also means efficient use of the check-in stations and the, and the real estate in the airport. And it means that... Um, you're catering for also people traveling with with outsized luggage or difficult luggage, which they wouldn't want to self-serve backdrop themselves. So here we see another aspect of solution, which, which is part and parcel of delivering that self-served, ease-of-use approach, which actually caters to different personas of people who are at the airport. Well, we see automation kind of coming in all over. And in uh, Schiphol Airport in the Netherlands, we understand they plan to test a new robot named Spencer. And what's Spencer going to do? Well, Spencer has been developed to help passengers find their way around the airport. Nigel, do you see a role or does CETA see a role for robots in the airport of the future? Yeah, I think there is definitely going to be a role for robots in the future. And... um 
the role of the robots um, maybe is open to question, and and we're at the, we see here with this example um, of Schiphol and I think Geneva, I think we're doing a, a similar type of, of trial. The robot's usage um, is a very interesting one, particularly when it comes to uh, assisting people. Uh, of course, if you've got a um, a machine that uh, that can understand a person's problem and then can help the person by guiding them to a place where they can either get more help or taking them to where the, the place that they, they can't find, whether it's their favorite coffee shop or, or a certain, uh, certain handbag store or something like that, then they are um, potentially very useful. They're potentially very useful in the airport space. I must admit, I find it a little bit freaky <laughs> if I turn around and then there's this very big robot next to me. You know, it's, 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 it's something to get used to, yes. But I think, I think if, you, if you look at, I was reflecting actually about um, TV programs I used to watch as a, as a child, um, one of which involved Robbie the Robot. Um, oh, yes. And the, I think the magazine, was it uh, the American journal um, Forbidden Planet or something like that, if I recall correctly. Um, Robbie had, had personality, yeah. And even... If people, for people who've, who've seen the film Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy with um, Marvin, the paranoid android, who was always very miserable, he definitely had personality. But of course, if, uh, if the robot is too robotic, I guess it's harder for people to associate with. Mm. But I think if these, these robots do develop a type of personality uh, and a, a service-oriented personality, of course, that would improve their ability to, to be welcomed uh, to help. One thing I was going to say is that the helping the passengers with robots is, uh, I guess, comes in two forms, one of which is that direct, direct interaction, like we're seeing here in, in the example you mentioned, Max. Um, but there are other indirect roles for for robots i get to, to help passengers whether it's to automate some of the movement of bags around the airport for example um using the sort of driverless car sort of comparison uh to to so that you can actually move maybe more bags more quickly around the airport or you can actually um ensure that you can do that without the need to uh, to have staff sitting waiting on trucks at uh, at the aircraft uh, at the gate before the aircraft arrives so that would save money uh, but also mean that the service is more efficient so there are, i think there are lots of ways many 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 things that robots may be able to do in the airport space in the future you know, uh, International CES is around the corner here coming up in January. And uh, every year, the, the robots that are on display get more and more sophisticated. And, uh, and I attended CES in January of this year. And it was a little freaky because, I mean, they, they some of these robots are, are look and sound and <laughs> act very human, you know. <laughs> and so uh, it's, it is interesting. But I, I guess my question is, you know, are we getting to that point where everything is, uh, where the, the human interaction seems to be less and less. You've got the self-service kiosks. You've got the bag drop technology. You've got the testing of robots at airports. And, uh, you know, is this the, the interaction, the human element at the airport, it, it, 
I don't know. My concern is that, that we won't be able to actually interact with real life humans. And, and, and I, that, is, that is a preferred way for myself to do certain things. I mean, is that something we should be concerned about? I, th- I think for some people, yes, I, it is uh, somewhat disconcerting when you see people being replaced by technology. Um, I, I would say that it comes back to the persona perspective again, because there are some people who embrace the ability to to interact with technology to get things done and to receive information, because they they want to to get on uh, and they treat travel through the airport as as maybe a, an inconvenience. They want to get from A to B, but uh, they don't want to necessarily stand in queues to to talk to somebody. Mm. So I think that there is. There, there is that perspective, and when we and from our passenger survey uh, work, we find actually people are very, very receptive to doing things themselves. More so if it's technology that they have in their palm, and and what we're seeing is what I believe is a tipping point starting in the level of adoption of mobile during uh, the 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 check-in and boarding part of the journey. And, and I think uh, this is this is really showing that people are actually giving up interacting with agents to actually do it themselves on their mobile phone. And that, this year, that's, that's quite a significant, significant finding in because uh, mobile to date has actually been relatively slow to be adopted for check-in. Hmm. That really brings us full circle to our original conversation, doesn't it? It brings us all the way around. Absolutely. Absolutely. Max, do you take a position at all uh, in terms of how, how you like to interact uh, with you know, customer-facing uh, employees or, or robots or machines? What, I think what I do. I think I do. But I think Nigel sort of introduced something new to my thinking. But uh, generally, given all things being equal – I tend to interact with a person rather than to an automated solution, let's say. Um, But that's given all things equal. If interacting with an automated solution is going to be significantly faster, then typically I'll I'll go with that. But what Nigel kind of woke me up to was the this idea of your own automation. You know, your smart device, your own personal electronic device, and that can be an automated solution, but it has a different feel to it when you are in control, when it's your device. Um, that's very different to me anyway than I think than walking up to a, a kiosk or, uh, or or Spencer, the, the robot or something else um, that, that has a different feel to it to me than something that I control, something that I hold in my palm. And I think that's very significant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So arming passengers, giving them, giving them the control that they ultimately want. It's very interesting times, Nigel. I, uh, unfortunately, we're rapidly coming to a close, and I want to thank our listeners. And remember, you can find us online at RomeGirlNetwork.com and on iTunes. Be sure to follow all the Runway Girl Network activity on Twitter at at Girl. And remember to use the PaxX hashtag when tweeting about the passenger experience. I'm very excited to say that uh, Airports Council International now is the latest to be using the PaxX hashtag. And we also see some airports on there as well. So that's kind of exciting. The uh, ground PaxX uh, joining in the conversation and, and would love to have you as well. Um, I'd like to reiterate our thanks to our sponsor, eGate Solutions. And I'd like to thank Nigel for being our guest. Nigel, where can listeners find you at? 
they can find me at uh, Aero, and uh, I don't actually have a, a hashtag name at the moment, so I can't give you that. <laughs> We're going to push you, Nigel, to do that one day. <laughs> it's on my Christmas list. There you go. Oh, very good. <laughs> All right. Well, we uh, invite you all to join us again next time as we talk about the passenger experience on the PaxX podcast. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.